for who Lovers Lane would become. An associate pastor set the tone for that uh, with uh, his passion for ministry to alcoholics in the 40s and 50s. What a powerful story. What an amazing story that is. At Lovers Lane, our mission is nothing new, right? I mean, we have been loving all people and learning to love all people since 1944. That is 73 years of ministry and loving all people. Can we give God praise and glory for that this morning? And here's what's cool. In a few months, Crosswalk will be turning 16. And so this congregation is going to celebrate its 16th birthday. And that means, friends, we're almost old enough to drive. Can we give God praise and glory for that? Yeah? And today it kind of feels, Dee, like we're in a new car. I kind of like this. What do you guys think about this? This looks great, right? This looks great. Amen. It's beautiful. Asbury Hall looks great. It looks amazing. And we have a lot of folks to thanks for that. We are set now to do some amazing ministry in this place for many years to come. What a great way for our church to kick off the summer. Amen. Now this summer, we are uncovering some of the defining stories of LLUMCs, of Lovers Lane United Methodist Church's rich history, right? Rich history. And we're doing this in our new worship series. It's called Then and Now. And we will consider how these stories might inspire us into a very vibrant, future, effective ministry. Here in Crosswalk at United Methodist at Lovers Lane United Methodist Church, we do that in some very special uh, ways. In fact, I have to tell you, there are some stories in here, in and amongst you, that you've shared with me that for someone here this morning is good news. It is the good news that they've been waiting for and the good news that they need. So we need to be sharing these stories, and we're going to do that in then and now, and I want you doing that in your life and in your walk and in your journey with Jesus. Loving all is our mission. And today, in the lens of this series, then and now, I want us to lift up our vision of being one diverse community. We've talked about this. This is our vision statement. We're going to learn it together. How many communities? One diverse community. That's what makes it special. And we do that by passionately engaging. You know what this is? It's not on your app friend, but on, and here on this table, it's an actual Bible, but it, it could be an app on your phone as well now, right? So we passionately engage the Bible. We uplift Jesus in vibrant worship, right? And in service to the world. And then we challenge in love that which divides. And we're going to talk about how Tom Ship did exactly that thing. Our goal is to meet that vision head on today as we talk about Tom Ship and Tom Ship's legacy and recognize, friends, that we are all, all of us, how many of us? All of us are broken and in need of Jesus Christ. Now, there was another person that left a very similar legacy uh, of that of Tom Ship who inspired his ministry. His name was Jesus Christ of Nazareth, right? Way back then, uh, over 2,000 years ago, he ran into some of the same issues that Tom Ship ran into back in the 40s and 50s. Remember the earliest conflict of Lover's Lane uh, from Pastor Stan's account? 
then? What was the earliest conflict? It was, uh, why would we want all of these alcoholics to be members of Lover Lane United Methodist Church? Do we want to become the alcoholic church of Dallas? Hmm. A very similar question comes up in our Bible passage today. And before we get to that, it is important to know that like Ship, Jesus is also kind of like an associate pastor in this passage. It's very early in his earthly ministry, right? The time in which he is calling disciples to follow him. He is establishing who he is in this context. It is very clear that Jesus is with us, that Jesus is God with us, who heals and who is a friend of sinners in this passage, and who is the Lord of all and the leader for all to follow. Turn with me now to our text. It's going to be in Mark chapter 2. We're going to be picking up in verses 13 through 17. I'm going to read it to you in the NIV translation. Now, we're talking about Matthew, but his name's not Matthew quite yet. It's Levi, okay? Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The word of God for the people of God. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, thank you for uh, this word. Thank you for the story of Tom Ship. Thank you for his ministry, which... Lord, has brought us to this day. Thank you for Jesus who inspired him. Help us, God, to be like Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Notice when Jesus begins to teach, what are his first words? Follow me. <laughs> it was really that simple. Lesson one, follow me follow me. Jesus opens with it, right? It's pretty simple and concise. And then, and then what does Jesus do? Jesus eats with them. So this is how Jesus teaches. This is uh, Jesus' very concise message. Follow me. Hey, you hungry? Right? And then Levi receives this new name, Matthew, right? Matthew is his new name. He becomes one of Jesus' own disciples. So I'm going to uh, pose a very important question to us this morning. It is the question of why. Why, why, why? The most important question in this text is why. Why did Levi choose to become part of Jesus' community of faith? Why would you choose to become part of Crosswalk and part of Lover's Lane United Methodist Church? Why? 
You know, back then, Levi needed someone in his life who was radically accepting, right? This cat's kind of lonely. He's a tax collector and super unpopular, right? Now, we need people who are now not content to stand on the sidelines, but are committed to radical acceptance, which is what Jesus is committed to in this text. Radical acceptance. And radical acceptance sounds to me a lot like loving all people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Who can say that boldly this morning? Oh, I'm looking. This church better raise its hand. <laughs> yes. So, you know, then, back then, Levi needed to count for something other than being hated by his community for collecting taxes and for sinning. He needed something greater than judgment. He needed to be loved and to be accepted. Now, we need people, one by one, who wholeheartedly believe that those who come in here count. And we need more and more people who are more and more passionate about welcoming all. All. All are welcome. And invite people into a message to all that we're here loving you. Right? That's what we want. Then Levi and his colleagues needed the Pharisees to get past the obvious, to get past the judgment, to get past their superiority complex. They thought they were perfect, but it was that very thought that caused them to miss the real need. Now, <laughs> we need people who know that they are not perfect. And that there are a bunch of imperfect people who need help. We need people who can get past the judgment to get past their superiority complex. That's what we need. We need pastors who know that they are not perfect, but that people need help. For some, it is help from God in raising kids in bringing up a family and reinforcing values of the love of God. And, and they need help learning to love their neighbors through words and actions. But for others, it may be as simple as just maintaining some sobriety. <laughs> to provide hope in seemingly hopeless situations. Or just to bring some purpose and meaning to someone's life. It's not real complicated. So the question, why? Why did Levi choose to become part of Jesus' community of faith? It's because Jesus was committed to accepting, teaching him about faith, and loving him. Why would you choose to become part of Crosswalk? Why would you choose to become part of Lover's Lane United Methodist Church? Because everyone needs to be part of a fellowship that is committed to loving you and equipping you in love. As well as embracing shoulder to shoulder, standing side by side with other members of Lover, Lover's Lane to challenge, 
to challenge and love that which divides. You hear me? <laughs> to challenge and love that which divides. We need more members who are off the sidelines and back into the game, this game called love. But be warned. I'm going to tell you right now, the game of love is a messy game. Amen? Boy, some people are like, oh, yeah, that's right, Pastor Kennedy. It sure is messy. Uh -huh. Before Tom Schiff was a pastor at Lover's Lane, he was an associate pastor at Highland Park United Methodist Church. Y'all know where that is over by the campus at SMU. He received a phone call one night that changed his entire life. The phone call came to him because a secretary in the church was unable to get a more seasoned staff. Boy, let me tell you, as an associate pastor, I've spent a few of those days here at the church taking those phone calls. <laughs> but this, this phone call was special. It was urgent. It was a long-distance call. And this call was from a man who had just made contact with his brother who had been missing for over a year. The man's brother's name was Bob, and he had managed to tell his brother that he was somewhere in Dallas in a wrecking yard. But he was so drunk that he could not give his brother the address of the wrecking yard. So the man asked Tom Ship, could you find him and stay with him until I can get there? Of course, Tom answered. Listen, as Tom gives his own account, I found him lying on the back seat of a battered Ford. His face showed almost green through a two-week-old stubble of beard. His suit was rumpled and filthy. At his feet were a dozen empty bottles. The stench was unbearable. I had never seen such a sick man in all of my life. I'd never dealt with a drunk. I'd never been intoxicated myself. And now suddenly, this alcoholic was my responsibility. He was a man who once had been a respected school principal in Texas. But when he was in his mid-30s, he'd been persuaded to take a drink at a Board of Education meeting. After that, it was all downhill for Bob. He drank so much that he finally deserted his family and disappeared from his friends and relatives for a full year. Meanwhile, his wife had divorced him. And then Bob asks, I mean, Tom asks himself, what was I going to do to bring healing to a man like that? He said, I, I really believed as I drove back to the church that someone would be able to cure him. After I phoned Bob's brother to tell him I had Bob safe with me, I began making phone calls to other ministers. I'm sorry, I just don't know that much about alcoholics he would get. Just do what you can until his brother arrives. He said, I called two doctors that I knew in the congregation. Uh, there's really very little you can do to help someone who drinks like that. I wish I knew a cure, but I don't. Finally, he called another doctor and asked him to enter Bob into a hospital. I can't do that, he said. Hospitals don't accept people just because they're drunk. I began to realize how helpless that alcoholics and their families then faced Neither ministers nor doctors had any better ideas about how to rehabilitate an alcoholic than I did, a first-year theological student. 
There seemed to be nothing to do but to take Bob home with me until his brother arrived at the tiny apartment in which my wife lived. I put Bob in the only bed we had. It won't be long until his brother comes for him, I promised D, his wife. But then Tom receives another phone call from his brother. And guess what happens? An emergency appendectomy. His brother, who was coming to get him. You know, the one he had just promised his wife would be out of the bed soon. Listen. Tom didn't kick him out. Kept that man in his bed. He indeed decided to keep Bob in their home. His brother didn't come for three days, and Tom became indelibly aware that alcoholism was a terrible sickness, and a passion in his heart was kindled, and it would never be extinguished. We are talking about the roots of our church, friends. Tom said by the second night, Bob had begun to see little men crawling around the room. He said, I had to sit and hold his hands. Turn on more lights, more lights. He kept screaming. We managed to struggle through three hectic days. Finally, Bob was sober. In those days, I was naive enough to believe that a cure to alcoholism, to cure it, all you had to do was dry the drunk out. Now, friends, that's a messy story. Yeah, that's a messy story. And one year later, Tom Schiff was the pastor of this church. Now, sitting right across the street from us, that way, sits the largest program today for alcoholic and addict recovery in the United States of America. And it's a ministry of this church, 12-step ministry. And friends, that ministry, because of this man and his heart and his compassion, now serves 900 people a week right across the street. But I have to tell you, alcohol, addiction... And other kinds of addictions are just as destructive as they have ever been. Anyone, anyone can get dragged into that trap. Alcoholism is a disease and the person who is suffering from it is sick. But friends, let me tell you something. I agree with Tom that they're worth helping. I Believe that wholeheartedly. This church is the perfect place for imperfect people. That was Jesus' message also back then in the ancient times. And it is the same message now today. It's also a message that hits very close to home for me. You see, I come from a broken home. Largely due to alcoholism. Back then, my mom, who had lost one of her children, her little boy named Paul, he was only seven years old and he died of leukemia. He was a twin to my sister Paula, and this catastrophic event ripped the family apart. 
She ended up divorcing over it. She became an alcoholic. And that was the point in which she became pregnant with me, another son. So I lived my whole childhood and youth and young adult life with an alcoholic in the shadow of those events. And trust me, it was messy. She died way too early, and friends, she never did quit drinking. It is the reality that these stories don't always end up with a nice pretty bow tied to them. Now, because of my experience with her and my experience with alcohol, to this day, I will not touch a drink. It was real messy, friends. Now, I'm convinced that had my mother known you, had my mother known this church, her life might have turned out differently. It's messy, friends, because real lives are at stake. Do you see? Real lives are at stake. You want to know why you should be a member of Crosswalk at Lover's Lane United Methodist Church? It's because you are making a real difference in real people's lives. Real messy lives. Because of my own experience, I know firsthand that alcoholism is destructive and anyone can get dragged into its snare. You see, the alcoholic becomes a slave to an unquenchable desire. Alcoholism is a disease and the alcoholic is a sick person. But I believe, like Tom Shipp believed, that they're worth helping. My mother was worth helping. Because of Tom Shipp and those who came after him, addicts can find forgiveness and acceptance and even a place for healing, like Didi was talking about earlier, but also a place of accountability. It's one of the things I love about this place. Accountability in Christ. Accountability in the body of Christ. Only God can move mountains like that. Only God can lift an alcoholic out of that kind of pit. And only God can lift us out of our own pits. The pits that we find all of ourselves in. The Pharisees had a hard time with this. They were cutting people down who were already suffering. Bravo. They couldn't see the truth. They couldn't see the truth that people were following Jesus and stepping right over them because Jesus was different. That's not how Jesus was operating and how Jesus was teaching. Why? Why here? Why didn't they follow those Pharisees? Because they weren't of any help. Why you? Why here? Because you are. These Pharisees acted like plank-eyed saints while worrying about the speck in their sisters' and brothers' eyes. I don't want to be that church, right? Amen? Let's not do that. You crosswalk of Lover's Lane United Methodist Church, though you challenge in love that which divides. 
<laughs> you are led by mercy. And that mercy is Jesus Christ. You want to open those doors and make others come in those doors to the brand new Asbury Hall? Then fling open the doors of mercy. That's what we need to do in this new space. You see, Jesus was a friend of sinners. Jesus loved all people. Jesus made the self-righteous to turn away and throw down their stones that they were throwing at everyone else. We have an important voice to the church here because Jesus Christ reminded them at dinner, (laughs) we're all the least of these. We don't need more judgment, church. What we need is more love. That's what we need. That's what this is about. There is not one of us, not one of us sitting here that at some point in our lives has not come to the place where we were depressed or we were not having our best day or we felt like we were isolated and all alone or that we wanted to just crawl up in a shell and just go away and disappear. But that is who Jesus died for. That is who Jesus died for. We are who Jesus died for. Why should you join Crosswalk? Because we're the perfect place for imperfect people. (laughs) And our Savior has thrown open the doors of mercy this morning. That's why. Now listen, I want to tell you one last story about Tom Ship. Tom Ship, our our Lover's Lane pastor, who was here for 31 years. (laughs) Tom was an orphan. His mother died when she was only four years, when he was only four years old and left him four siblings and a father who could not care for them during the Great Depression, okay? So a rocky home life. They moved to Missouri, which was their home, to a place called Prairie Home. And Tom grew up and he was living in barns and in extra rooms of Missouri farmers, And he worked for room and board so he could go to school. And here is his account from then. I had just secured a place to live and a place to work. I arrived in the afternoon, put my belongings on the back porch, went with the man of the house to do the chores, and before they were finished, night had almost fallen. I washed my face and hands at the well, came into the kitchen, walked in, time for supper. Everyone walked into the dining room to eat, and I followed. When everyone was seated, it was obvious. All the places had been taken. (laughs) Everything grew silent as I stood there. And then the man spoke up and said, Boy, you don't eat at this table with us. When we're finished, you'll be given a plate, and then you'll go out on the back porch And you'll eat out there. For more than a year, he slept in a barn. And that is where he had his meal. 
The time came when he decided that he was no longer going to be in that place. So Tom went to a neighbor not far away and secured a place to live. And then, then it was different. He was able to be a part of the family, a giving church-going family that allowed him to go to church with them. He was seated at the table for meals. Sound like Levi, right? He slept in the house. They gave him his first new pair of shoes and clothes. They loved him and made him feel like one of them. Then it came time for church. He was granted the privilege to go. He was given some money to place on the altar for Holy Communion. He didn't have any money to his name. They just gave him some. Oddly enough, the family that he had been living with before went to that same church. The first Sunday that Tom attended that church, both of the families were present, and it was communion. Now get this. The family insisted that Tom go with them. As he knelt down, the man that he had worked with before knelt beside him on the right and the man for whom he was now working was on his left and the communion elements were served and the man at the right whom he had worked for as he reached for the communion grabs his hand just as Tom reached for the bread his face the man's face turned bright red, and he said he could still hear the words today as he was describing it when he leaned forward. That man was going to prevent him from taking communion. The other man looked at him and said, It's not your table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can go ahead and clap because I'd have been like, "Woo!" <laughs> it's not your table. He did it again. And the man said, it's not your table. And then he did it again. And the man got serious and said, it's not your table. And the divine power of God fell on that place. And that man let his arm go. And that boy received communion. <laughs> Amen. It's not your table rang in Tom Ship's ears for decades after that. For the rest of his life, he helped to form this congregation and center our ministry on worship and on all people. All people having a place at the Lord's table. Why crosswalk at Lover's Lane? Because for too many real people, then and now, the table was and is reserved for a false sham of perfect people. There are no perfect people, but there is a perfect place for imperfect people. And that is crosswalk.
at Lover's Lane United Methodist Church. Are you hearing why this morning? Are you hearing why? I hope that you will talk to me about joining this church. I hope that you will talk to me about becoming part of this great legacy that we've discussed this morning. Don't just sit out there week after week. Come on in and get in the mission filled with us here and let's stand shoulder to shoulder as we challenge in love that which divides and we love everybody. Can we do that? All right, let's be part of that. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we give you glory. We give you honor and you praise for what you have done through the ministries of Tom Shipp and for the ministries of all of those, God, who have joined and stood on his shoulders and been part of what's going on here at Lover's Lane United Methodist Church. God, we praise you and we thank you for this word and for this ambassador of your love and strength and power. Thank you, God, for all you do and for who you are. Prepare us to receive those who will come. In Jesus' name, amen.